It would be wonderful if becoming a Christian ended all your troubles and struggles. But that's not the case so long as we live in this fallen world. To be sure, our bondage under the law's lordship and its condemnation of our sin have ended once for all. Paul asserts nothing is condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast for Bethany Lutheran Church in Long Beach, California. In Jesus' name, I pray that your time in Romans this summer is blessed. Please don't limit it to Sunday mornings or just the sections that we hear in worship. Instead, take time to read the entire letter all the way through or listen to it on an audio Bible. It just takes a little over an hour. After all, aside from the four Gospels where we meet Jesus in person, Romans is widely recognized as the most significant, comprehensive, and impactful book in the entire Bible. Why is this? Well, first, Paul writes in a way that impacts people of all times and all places, including our own day and each and every one of us here this morning. In Romans, he uses the Greek word pas, 74 times. Unfortunately, it gets translated in English as each and every and all, so you miss the repetition. But Paul declares that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, or the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him, for all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. A second way he does this is by speaking of Jews and Greeks or Gentiles eight more times. Those two categories also encompass everybody as well. To put them both together, he writes, we have charged that Jews and Greeks alike are all under sin. Or the gospel is the power of God into salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Those make universal applications of law and gospel to each and every person, including all of us. At the same time, however, Romans is intensely personal. Throughout his letters, St. Paul actually writes about himself quite a lot and reveals things about his own life. Romans is no exception. Check out Romans chapter 1, chapter 14, chapter 15, and most dramatically here in Romans 7. I mentioned last week that he uses 52 first-person singular forms, I, my, me, just in this one chapter. And as you heard in the reading last Sunday and again today, this chapter is intensely personal. But before we get there that narrowly, some context is helpful. Romans chapter 5 to 8 goes like this. The disobedience disobedience of Adam brought sin and death into God's creation. As a result, in the language of our gospel lesson, there's weeds among the wheat. Ever since, Paul says, we have all been enslaved by sin and its consequences. We confessed that earlier. But we also acknowledge that by being baptized into Jesus' all-powerful death and resurrection, we are freed from that slavery to sin so that we can walk in newness of life. 
Now, despite what some translations say and a few Christians think, we are not yet free from sin. Instead, the second half of chapter 6 described what you heard from Pastor Kevin two weeks ago. We're freed from slavery to sin, yes, so that we are now enabled and encouraged to continually fight against it. That's an ongoing struggle. If you jump ahead to chapter 8, nothing, not even death, can separate us from God's love that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yet, St. Paul says, our bodies are still mortal. In today's reading, they're dying. We still await the redemption of these bodies. So this now but not yet tension in the Christian life permeates Romans 7 as well, and Paul illustrates it in his own life. Last week, you heard verses 7 to 13, where Paul used the past tense to describe his life under the law as a Pharisee. Short quiz. Remember the acronym I used last week? I-R-S, it started. Paul did not I ignore God's law, nor did he R rebel against it. Instead, the first S, he was filled with self-righteousness based on his obedience to God's commands. He now realizes the first D, that was a deception, a diabolical misuse of God's law, pompously pretending it could be a means to righteousness before God, to life and salvation. Ever since Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, he realized that deadly deception. I hope you have too. But the struggle to live out God's good law did not end there for Paul, and it persists in our own lives as well. It would be wonderful if becoming a Christian ended all your troubles and struggles. But that's not the case so long as we live in this fallen world. To be sure, our bondage under the law's lordship and its condemnation of our sin have ended once for all. Paul asserts nothing is condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. At the same time, however, we still have a sinful nature which continues to infect and impact us in this age. In today's reading, Paul speaks uniformly in the present tense of his life as a Christian. He describes his ongoing struggle to live according to God's standards in God's good law. He began, I have a corrupt nature. Sold as a slave to sin, I don't realize what I'm doing. I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do what I hate. Even the great apostle lamented that sin still dwelled within him. It repeatedly led him to do things against God's will and even contrary to his own renewed will. Doing some things you'd rather not? Not doing some things you ought? Does that sound familiar to anybody else? Sin, like some personal power, could even deviously use God's good commands that are right and holy to increase sin's activity. Now, how does that happen? Think about a parent who tells their child, don't touch the hot stove. Why? When someone tells me to keep my hand out of the cookie jar, if I didn't want a cookie before, I sure want one now. My favorite billboard ever said, 
don't listen to FM 103. What were they hoping would immediately happen? Clever, huh? A proverb says, let sleeping dogs lie. Sin, however, can actually use God's good law to kick the sleeping dog, to tempt my corrupted sinful nature. Another proverb goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Forbidden fruit tastes sweet. Oh, really? Maybe until it turns sour in your stomach. Just ask Adam and Eve. You see, the thou shalt nots in God's good word are like red lights at traffic signals. Now, why don't you drive through red lights? One of my students said, I don't want to get a ticket. True enough. Another student said, because it's the law. Also true, but why? To protect us and others from harm, and that's the reason for the thou shalt nots in God's word. On the other hand, Jesus says all the positive commands in God's law are simply showing us how to love God and to love each other. They're like green lights. Go there and you'll get where you want to be safely and joyfully. So what are some of the reds and greens in God's word? We don't have to figure these out ourselves. This is why we have a Bible. Check out the Ten Commandments. They're right there on the tie again. Read Romans 12 to 15 or the Sermon on the Mount. If you want a list, Galatians chapter 5 gives you these red lights. Now the effects of the corrupt nature are obvious. Illicit sex, perversion, promiscuity, idolatry, drug use, hatred, rivalry, jealousy, angry outbursts, selfish ambition, conflict, factions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and similar things. Stop! Don't go there. Here are the green lights. Chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Go there. Your life will be blessed, and you'll be a blessing to those around you. Yet something in us wants to keep crashing through God's red lights and stopping at the greens. In fact, almost every time I get stuck in traffic, I wish all my lights were green and those other cars would all get red lights or just get out of my way so I could get where I want to go. In other words, my selfish, sinful, impatient nature rears its ugly head. Now, to explain in depth, I could read you my doctoral dissertation, reduced here as the eye in the storm, but I think our present predicament and its solution are better illustrated in a book by one of our Concordia graduates, The Good That I Should by Gwen Borcherding. In case you're wondering where the children's message went, here it is. But I think we adults can relate all too well. The good that I should do, I often don't do. The wrong that I shouldn't do, that's what I do. You know how it is when your mom says, be good and do all the things that you know that you should? So you try hard to listen and sit very still, but one table over, you see your friend Will. He's making a face and pointing at Drew, who's leaning way back in his chair next to you. Just a quick little nudge, of your toe on his chair, and the next thing you know, Drew is launched in the air. 
He lands with a crash and the class starts to giggle. You know you're in trouble and you nervously wiggle. When we do something wrong, God calls it a sin. Who will get us out of this mess that we're in? Thanks be to God, we have Jesus to win, forgiveness for us and our whole load of sin. But the good that I should do, I often don't do. The wrong that I shouldn't do, that's what I do. You've heard it before when your dad says, don't fight, and you glare at your sister, though you know it's not right. Most time, it's fun when the two of you play, but something she said hurt your feelings today. You know that it's best if you obey your dad. You really don't plan to do anything bad, but just then you reach out and give her a shove. Now what makes you mistreat the sister you love? So now you feel bad and your sister is crying. You're right back in trouble without even trying. When we do something wrong, God calls it a sin. Who will get us out of this mess that we're in? Thanks be to God that with Jesus there's grace, and there in his kingdom he's made us a place. But the good that I should do, I often don't do. The wrong that I should do, that's what I do. You've seen how it works when your room is a mess, but you want to go play with your neighbor friend, Jess. It would make your mom's day if you cleaned up before she had to remind you or tell you once more. You could straighten up now and get the job done, but everyone outside is having such fun. You know mom prefers that you work and then play, but you leave it and head out the door anyway. As you play with your friends in the back of your head, you know you'd feel better if you cleaned up instead. When we don't do what's right, God calls it a sin. Who'll get us out of this mess that we're in? Thanks be to God that he cleanses our heart. We're baptized, forgiven, we get a new start. Sin makes us all struggle to do the right thing. But here's some good news that will make your heart sing. Although we all sin and don't do as we should, the Lord lived a perfect life. It was perfectly good. The punishment we deserved, he took instead. Repent, you're forgiven, believe what he said. Jesus comes in his word and gives a fresh start. We'll be his forever, we never will part. For good news, you'll find these words second to none. God loves you so much that he sent you his son. In closing, Remember I-R-S-D-D-S-S from last week? Yes, the second D was despair, but that means we, like Paul, need to despair of any self-righteousness and then rest our faith and our lives in our substitute, Jesus. A frustrated but also grateful, St. Paul puts it this way in the last two verses of our reading. What a miserable person I am. Who will rescue me from my dying body? I thank God that our Lord Jesus Christ rescues me. With that assurance, confidently head out into your daily life. Instead of selfishly putting yourself first and dangerously crashing through the red lights of God's word, stop going there. They only harm you and others. Instead, strive to proceed through the green lights so that your life will be blessed and you will be a blessing to others all and only because you are in Christ Jesus. And whenever you fall short, like me daily, 
like the boy in the book, even like the Apostle Paul, all of us should remember Romans 8, verse 1. Those who are believers in Christ Jesus can no longer be condemned by anyone, by anything, by sin. Instead, Jesus paid it all, and he will hold you fast as you live in Christ now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening today. A video archive of our online worship services, including today's message, can be found on our YouTube channel and at www.bethanylutheran.org. Links for both of these are in the show notes. If you would like to support this podcast or the ministry of Bethany Lutheran Church in Long Beach, California, you can text the word GIVE to 562-210-0463. That's GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 562-210-0463. We pray that you have a wonderful and blessed week.